Welcome to This Is What Democracy Sounds Like. I'm Kevin Prang. This program is a presentation of Metropolitan Congregations United. MC is a community organization that brings together religious congregations, community groups, and individuals to work for a common purpose, to create a better life for all residents of the St. Louis region. We work at the intersection of race, economy, political power, gender, and the structures of oppression at work within us individually, within our organization, and within the community. We are working towards building people's control of the government, building community control of the economy, expanding the public sphere, and creating structural racial equity. Today, our guests are Maisha Johnson, the housing equity organizer for MCU, and Beth Gutzler, the lead environmental justice organizer for MCU. We'll be catching up on the actions, activities, and other things for both of these task forces. So we have an environmental justice and housing uh, meeting coming up. Uh, Tell us what this meeting is about, uh, where will it be, and when will it be taking place? Yes, so we will be having the launching of the MCU EJ Housing Task Force, May 31st um, from 6.30 to 7.30. It will be on Zoom. And we really want to see um, how you as community members and and or your congregation can get involved with the EJ housing work. And let's change how they show up for our communities and say what that looks like. One of the things that we will be um, hope to be focusing on and hope that the folks that come along see this as an issue cut um, that we want to work on is um, the ordinance. Um, of the occupancy permits within a home because often landlords will move one individual that continues to complain about mold, lead, um, unable to be able to breathe rodents in their home and a landlord would see them as an issue and um, illegally evict them or cohort them to self-evict and um, just move another person in without, um, you know, retouching the place or painting, or if it's mold, they just paint over the mold. And that becomes another issue for the individuals that's moving in and um, causes health issues. Are there specific neighborhoods or regions within the community that you're looking to, to have involved in this particular meeting that you're targeting? Yes, we're um, mainly focused in the state streets because often, um, as you heard me say in many other spaces, that resources miss um, the 63118, 63111, 63116 um, zip codes. And those are the areas where we see a lot of um, children with learning disabilities, um, with asthma issues, and high rates of rent in inhabitable spaces. And what you see on the south side, you normally will see in North City as well. So North City is another space that we look to um, be focusing on as well. Okay, good. And for those, if you're listening from outside the St. Louis area, the State Street area is generally a a region in South St. Louis where all of the streets in the area are named after states. So that's (laughs) that's a, a, a geographical reference that we hear we use here in St. Louis. So, um, so this sounds like it touches directly on the need for a tenant's rights or tenant's bill of rights to say that when we're renting, these things need to either happen or not happen. Can you expand on, on remind us why we need this? Because housing is a human right. 
And it is important that um, individuals learn how to vocalize um, what is um, humane, what feels humane to them in their space and um, their surroundings. Also, um, that tenants deserve protection and to feel like um, a home is a home, not a space that causes me um, a headache, confusion, and um, to be unhealthy. Um, it's also, um, it's not just um, focusing on those things, but it's for those who own property to invest into their property. It, so if you um, invest into the property and uh, make it habitable, maybe those tenants will stay, you know, they'll be long lasting tenants and you won't have to worry about all the other um, ordinance that comes along with that. But as we know, landlords these days have um, more rights than tenants within St. Louis. Um, and we com we um, come back with homelessness too, because often when um, the tenants report the issue that they're seeing to the health department, um, it's nine times out of 10 gonna be condemned in certain spaces. And that um, leads the family to become homeless. So we want to prevent that as well. Okay, good. And will you be at, at the meeting that's coming up, will you be doing listening to, to, to some of the things that, that people are reporting back? Or is this more to energize uh, people to, to uh, stand up uh, for, for their rights um, in, in where they live? So the tenant bill of right is um, uh, is legislation designed to protect tenants from being exploded by landlords. So we want to hear conversations of um, you know what tenants are experiencing and um, from the communities and congregations because we want congregations to be involved as well. You know, at MCU we're faith based organizers and. Um, you know, a lot of these issues come into the church where, you know, where we assist them and give them resources or, you know, help them with the rent or connect them to someone. Um, so we want them to be able to vocalize for themselves, but also um, come together and make decisions on what that next step looks like. Who do we hold accountable? Where, where do we start, start to hold them accountable? And why are we holding them accountable? The who, what, and why um, is important when organizing around these things because you want the outcome to be winnable for those who are pushing for better living spaces. And the Tenants' Bill of Rights, is that legislation that we're looking to have happen at the city level or the state level or both? We were working with um, KC tenants and we seen how they were pushing and how they changed some things. It took time, but it happened. And we realized that um, when things were changing for them, it was in um, helping us here in St. Louis. Many of those who are experiencing those um, predatorial landlords and um, being illegally evicting and being co-herded to self-evict. And we wanted to um, give knowledge and education on that they have the power to change the laws that is here in St. Louis to better serve them. So we're focusing on local 
And then we plan to combine with um, KC tenants to make it statewide because we know in rural areas, they're facing the same issue as well, but do not know how to tell their story and vocalize the needs that is um, that needs to be met in those spaces. A lot of uh, some of the the uh, tenant bill of rights uh, issues that that you were talking about actually deal with environmental concerns within rental apartments and within rental homes too. What are some of the environmental risks that need to be addressed or eliminated uh, with within rental property? So um, I'm glad you brought that up. Today we had an action at Forest Park Apartments where tenants have been experiencing. Um, rodents, mice running all through the house, roaches getting into their um, refrigerator, um, locks being changed and being locked out of their homes and being told, um, no one, the office is closed, so you have to find somewhere to sleep. Some have slept in parks, some have slept in the hallway, waiting for maintenance to come and let them in. Um, bed bugs. There's many other um, things that has gone on. We went there the other day to Canvas, and there was um, caution tape everywhere. Someone had been murdered, and kids were work walking through the space where there was a dead body a few hours later. So we um, protested today that they follow the demands. And... Um, the main thing is our slogan is who is Odin Properties? Odin Properties is a corporate um, landlord, slumlord based out of Philadelphia. They have properties in 14 states. Odin owns four properties in St. Louis, Forest Park Apartments, Nico Terrace, Collins Terrace, and Metro at 70. The demands that were served to the um, the apartment manager who also called the police on us um, where one recognition of the tenant union, the Forest Park People Tenant Union, um, monthly meetings between management and tenants, three, an immediate and to retaliation against the tenants who organize because a lot of them have been getting illegally evicted. Their, um, the ledgers for their rent payments have mysteriously disappeared and they're saying they owe several months of rent. Five is immediate and to illegal lockouts. As I spoke of, they're changing the locks on individuals and they've having to find other spaces to live in. Six would be better accessible both outside and inside um, accessibility outside and inside the building. What they have done, they've put um, coding um, pads on the doors and if they go out the back door, they can't come back in the back door. And that's the only space to empty their trash. And we're speaking of uh, elderly people and women with small children. So they then have to walk all the way um, another fence that's like probably a half a block and then walk back around to the front to come back um, into the building. So, you know, there's folks with disability that's not accessible for them. Seven is better safety, both in outside of um, the building. As I said, someone was murdered and children had to walk in the space where a, a body was 
hours prior to that. Eight is an immediate end to the property manager withholding mail and deliveries. So a lot of folks' mail has come up missing. Um, Mr. Troy, who was the tenant that spoke at the rally today, spoke of his, um, he had been waiting for mail for his disability from the veterans department. And um, they just gave it to him, what, three weeks ago? And they've had it since February. So those are some of the issues that had came up and they continue to intimidate them. We had support from State Street Tenant Resistance, Sharon Jones, Sarah Watkins, Homes for All, um, Christian Blackman, Charles Buchanan, and Future Brown came out in support. Um, there were other leaders from um, other organizations that came out and supported and to push for um, these demands in that space. We did serve the manager um, in that space and they just tore the paperwork up and went in the building and told us if we came back, they would continue to call the police on us. Well, I'm glad you were able to do that. And I'm glad you're here with us this afternoon. Mm -hmm. So uh, I, I, congratulations. Uh, how many people uh, were able to, to uh, turn out for that event? About 12 people and my granddaughter. My granddaughter came <laughs> with it. <another> sign. <laughs> okay, great. Now, when, when, when tenants that are living there see an action like this happening, do, do folks then come up to you and, and say, hey, I'm glad you're doing this? Yes, they did. And several of them said that they would like to participate, but they were told that if they did, that they would have to move out. So it's that intimidation you were talking about. That... Yes, sir. Okay. All right. So, and you were talking a little bit about uh, when you first saw the police tape, you were actually doing canvassing there. And that sort of yes. relates to the uh, transformative conversations that we at MCU have been having over the last couple of years. So this yes. is integrating with other programs that, that MCU is doing too. Tell us how those have been going and, and uh, how often you're doing those. Well, um, I recently got back from um, a C4 training on how to have um, transformative conversations with folks around the elections that's coming up. We want to make sure that votes are registered to vote and know how to vocalize the change that they want to see um, in their communities. That's the power that they hold. We have power. Often we don't feel it um, because the we aren't able to communicate with the legislators that are put in place to um, make our community safer and be involved with community. So in the training, we got a chance to get out and speak with folks in community for those six weeks. We spent about four hours a day, um, five, five days a week, four hours a day, about 20 hours, um, talking and having conversations with community. Often, you know, folks will say they don't care. They don't care. They do care. They do. It was, I, I know it's about 12 people in the community that I spoke with that wants to be part of this work and make a change. They spoke of, um, police brutality. They spoke of the gun violence. They spoke of affordable housing. They spoke of um, the education, the proper education that our children deserve in these communities. They spoke of illegal dumping. There's many things that they um, wanna see change. The policing, they don't feel safe. They, 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 they feel that they as a community can make them feel safe. 
So why don't we invest in community members or a team of community members that can surveillance the neighborhood instead of always bringing in the police and criminalizing those um, individuals that may be having a mental breakdown? There's so much going on in the world today. People don't know where to turn for help because they're scared to tell their story on how they're feeling and what they're doing. But a lot of members in the community are tired of seeing folks being broken down and their community being broken down and they're ready to stand up. So we're gonna pull them together and we're together, we together are gonna make that change. Okay, good. It sounds like some good actions taking place in those specific communities. Um, I'm going to move us to another topic, uh, since we have Beth with us here today also to talk about environmental justice. We're recording this on May 4th, and our Missouri legislative session is coming to a close in a few days on May 13th. And an issue MCU has been working hard on is getting the lead out, which obviously lead abatement in apartments and rental properties is also an issue. But specifically, this get the lead out legislation um, that's going through the Missouri legislature. What is it and and kind of what are we looking uh, to happen right now? Um, currently right now, um, there is some really positive things going on. The goal is to not only, um, you know, make it so that schools are figuring out a way to make sure that there is zero lead um, contamination in all schools. This is a Missouri effort like the whole entire state. That's what I feel like is so powerful about this work. And um, and it's to make sure that also there's some funding secured. So on Monday night, there was a positive hearing for the Senate Bill um, 984. Um, it has um, the same language that's been going through both the Senate and the House. And so this is really um, like motivating to be so close um, on both the House and the Senate side on what we're calling Get Out the Lead um, of School Water Act. Um, however, there's still um, some, these are amendments to bills. So there has to be possibly some language change on other things that are part of this same bill. And so um, we're, that's why on our faith community side, we're just praying that things go well and that um, everything's, look, all the T's are crossed and all the dots are I's um, so that they don't have to go to another committee and we can see this um, success go through. So um, they're anxious because um, there's also going to be a hearing on uh, the SCS um, House Bill 2151 um, in the Senate Committee on the Governmental Accountability and Fiscal Oversight um, right now as well, before everything closes up. And our key leader, and of course, on the Senate side, as a reminder, is um, Senator Shute. Um, this is one of the things that has been a major focus of um, the senator's work this particular session. And so after that, there could be uh, the need for what we call and what I'm learning through um, our legislative work this year as an organizer, um, a third read that's uh, going to be done in front of the entire Senate. But um, we're definitely looking like the $27 million of a of appropriation already set up in House Bill 3020 is going to be uh, one of the key factors to helping schools to um, implement this, especially the schools that are low income and in need of this um, remediation first. Okay, great. And as a reminder, that's probably happening 
while people are listening to this. We'll, we'll publish this uh, the, the week after we record it. So uh, open up your newspaper, turn on your television, find out what's going on and contact your representatives and your senators to, to make sure this gets done. So thank you for that update. And uh, another note I have is one of the things that we've been concerned about for, for both of your, your teams is the illegal dumping. Um, has there been legislation on on that proposed at either the state or even the local le- level, and where do those things stand? So the biggest change um, that we're looking for in reference to um, what we're calling a petition of support that we, like we were talking about earlier, have been going out and canvassing around. Um, we've specifically been in Ward 27 and Ward 20. Uh, not only going door to door, but also phone banking since January with demands on reform. Now, the working closely at the St. Louis city level, um, the person that's made the most uh, influence has been um, Pam Boyd. And the group um, has actually asked for illegal dumping fines um, for people who do large dumps and get caught like you've seen already on the news over the last couple of years around tires. Um, it's at the minimum of $500 right now. And there's a maximum of a thousand dollars fine that is at the state level. And so um, they've asked for that to become official so that it won't be so cost effective just to illegally dump and not properly recycle your tires. And so even though that's not all the demands of the petition of support around illegal dumping reform, this is one step closer. And um, we're looking now to see if that's definitely going to be on the, uh, on an August ballot and we're going to have need to continue to canvas and get out to vote around that at the city level. Now, another program that everybody's been excited about within MCU um, has been the air quality monitoring. Uh, Remind us what this involves and how far along are we? Yeah, so the community-based air quality monitoring program um, that is funded through the Missouri Foundation for Health has officially been launched um, in January of 2022. Um, This was a program to use EPA monitors that were on loan Um, to the Washington University J. Turner's lab, as well as some of the monitors that look at PM or particulate matter 2.5 that are owned by Washington University. And this collaboration was to allow for the community to get more involved. So we've talked about this a little bit already, but it's um, just been a great way um, to connect um, environmental justice concerns around air quality with um, the congregations. So 14 congregations have stepped up to hold these monitors. There's still one being installed tomorrow and another one scheduled soon. And then um, with the data that's already in place, we've been testing a website um, that's similar to the Purple Air website um, that will le- allow you to almost use this air quality monitoring as a way to manage your health as well if you suffer from asthma and allergies and things like and you're starting to feel abnormal effects and you're just not sure why, you might want to check that out. It's a little bit different than our current level of monitoring from MDNR, which is just two monitors. It's not specific and it's definitely not in impacted communities. And so these 14 monitors are spread out as far north as Third Presbyterian and as far south as um, Episcopal Church, uh, St. Paul's Episcopal. So there's a huge variety um, in the St. Louis city, a little bit into the St. Louis County to give these scientists the opportunity to 
better assess what we've read in the 2019 Washington University Environmental Racism Report and see if there are trends in specific areas and what the trends are for overall community as we start um, to have um, some calls to actions and petitions of support around air quality issues. And what, what's kind of been the reaction of congregations once this, this gets installed? I mean, how are they responding to this? Well, I, I personally think like they want to know, like they see this box and they want to know now, like immediately. So we are creating the website so that, that we can, you know, fill this, this desire to understand what's in their air. And so hopefully we'll have that to them within the next couple of weeks. Um, and then overall, they're also wanting, so what does this mean? And that's going to be a little bit longer, um, but we're hoping between August to January, you'll be seeing actions that even though it might not be a monitor up in your congregation, you could join in on a Zoom presentation or an in-person meeting at one of these congregations that's hosting a monitor to learn more from the scientists, to possibly help and go out and canvas um, in the communities with this um, information around our air quality and be participating in actions that we'll be having all throughout St. Louis. I took a look at one of those similar websites and it, it was amazing how different the readings were uh, over a small region. Uh, we, we, when you drive down uh, Interstate 64 near the Science Center, you see the big sign, whether it's green air quality, yellow air quality, red air quality. But it, I thought it was fascinating to see how, how different the readings were in different parts of the city. And it sounds like that's what this is going to tell us, too. Yeah, so we're trying to be patient. And as organizers and as social justice people, it's very hard to be patient. But one of the things that we can do um, is to own the data, right? We want to know that this data is true and this is what's actually going on before we start to take these actions. And so um, what we find, I don't want to say right now, but what we're investigating is what does it look like around to talk about air permits? Who's the person who's giving permission to pollute my air? Um, I've been working regionally preparing for the air quality monitoring rally with Illinois and learning a little bit about the work they've already started around air permit um, reform. And there's actually on the website in Illinois that says a forever air permit. And that really bothers me to think about, you know, somebody having permission to pollute my air forever. And so we're going back and we're in the research phase as we prepare for a petition support right now. And looking at that, and it, it's just a reflection after our air quality um, prayer service up in Baden the other day, it was a reflection of we as people should be giving permission if we want a factory. And we need to know who's monitoring. Right now, we have to do it as citizens, which kind of raises another red flag. But the companies who get these permits should not be self-monitoring similar to the same problems that we were talking about earlier around landlords. In theory, they're, you know, self-monitoring their own environmental justice concerns inside those apartments. And so um, there's a lot of opportunity um, to talk about once we get the data, what petitions of support should look like going forward as well. Okay, good. As we uh, kind of bring the program to a close, is there anything I've missed? You guys have been doing a lot of action in the last several months. You've got a lot coming up. Uh, are there any other topics you want to bring up? 
Well, I definitely want to um, encourage everyone again to um, come out for the regional air quality bridge rally. Um, this year, it's going to be on Saturday, July 23rd. Um, it's going to be on the McKinley Bridge again. Um, but this time, um, we want to rally the troops together to say, you know, we had to do the monitoring. We're investing in our own community. We need our local governments to do the same. And we're going to get really clear on air permits and continue to gather everyone together to tell their stories about how they're impacted um, with the air quality that's in our city right now and how it affects their health. And it's a matter of life and death. And then I just want to make sure that um, I just remind folks of the May 31st um, launching of the EJ Housing. And um, if you want to get involved, feel free to reach out to me, Myesha at mcustl.com. That's M-Y-I-S-H-A, mcustl.com. Also, um, you know, just let's start having conversations so we don't relive the Great Depression. We don't want that to last 10 years again. We want to stop it now and make that change now. Okay, great. I want to thank our guests today, Maisha Johnson, the housing equity organizer for MCU, and Beth Gutzler, the lead environmental justice organizer for MCU. If you're ready to join these women in the work for justice in the St. Louis area, contact us at 314-367-3484 or shoot an email to office at mcustl.com. You can also learn more and contribute to MCU at our website, mcustlewis.org. And also be sure to follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram for news and events. I'm Kevin Prang, and you've been listening to This Is What Democracy Sounds Like. Uh, Join us again next time, and thank you for listening.